0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming today. Uh, brief announcement. Uh, this coming Saturday, I don't know if you know what's coming, but it's sort of a big deal. It's Christmas Eve, and we've got three services here, two, four, six o'clock. We're going to have somewhere around 15,000 people here for those three services. You will not want to miss it. We have a, a wonderful kids choir. We've got a string ensemble that's coming. We're going to be singing big songs and candle lighting at the end. And I'll just say this is the easiest invitation you will have all year. To bring your friends, to bring your neighbors, to bring people from work. So, anyway, please open up the doors, bring your people. Let's come celebrate 2, 4, and 6 p.m. Amen? Amen. All right, now if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. And what I'll do is I'll read you the first 14 verses. It's this sort of iconic Advent, Christmas text of the, the, the Christ child coming into the world. So, what I'll do is I'll read it, I'll pray. And then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of Luke two, verse one, in those days, Caesar Augustus, the Roman ruler issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. So he's leaving where he lives in Judea to go up to Bethlehem, the town of David, old King David from a thousand years before, because Joseph belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, and it was a boy. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Flag that phrase in your mind. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, it's not just one angel, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can you say amen today, church? Let's pray. We need you, God. We need you. We are not here to be entertained. We're not here because we've got nothing else to do. We are here with the firm conviction that you are the God who started our story with speech. Let there be light. We're here with the firm conviction that you're the God who still speaks by your spirit. You're taking these scriptures and you're enlivening them and you're challenging us and chastening us and making us the people of God. So we say, come Holy Spirit and speak to us. Would you invite the spirit today to speak to you? Lord, we pray that you would race through this place and that you would race through our hearts and that you would claim us for yourself. We pray that we would go to the car different today because we've heard from you. So we pray, Lord, these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Son. And the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Sometimes the call of God presses you. It provokes you. It pushes you. It puts you at risk. Lady named Teresa in Calcutta. Maybe you've heard of her. She was a simple nun. She had immigrated from Europe and moved down to Calcutta. And she was living in the safe environs of the convent walls. And actually before her great ministry erupted, it was not permissible for the nuns to leave the safety of the convent. So what they did was they worked in the convent and they prayed in the convent and they worshiped in the convent and they taught the scriptures, but they couldn't go out because Calcutta was chaotic. There was a, a plague sweeping through. There was incredible homelessness and poverty and, and there was no food. And, and Teresa is minding her own business, doing what she does as a nun by her window on a hot Calcutta day and the windows open for a little breeze to come in and she's doing what she does every day, multiple times a day. But this day was different because she saw a man in the ditch. Wasting away, his, his sores open, his, his body under duress. He hadn't eaten in weeks. And, and this day, she'd probably seen it before, but on this day, everything changed. And she rose from her knees and she wanted to, be, she wanted to put feet to those prayers. And she walked to the convent gate and they said, Teresa, you can't go. Sister, you need to stand down. And she said, I'm going to go. And she steps out and she picks this man up, emaciated as he is, and brings him into the convent and pours oil on his wounds and begins to give him a little soup and dignifies this man until his death. And that day everything changed because sometimes the call of God puts you at risk. Sometimes the call of God wakes you back up. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. 39 years old when he was gunned down in Memphis. I just turned 40 and I live with an awareness that that man did more in 39 years than any of us can imagine. And the call of God put him and his family at risk every single day. Christmas day, his home is bombed by white supremacists who said, if you'll just stand down, if you'll quit this thing that you're doing, we'll leave you alone. And he said, if it kills me, it kills me, but I can't quit this thing. And his family's under duress. I'll say to you, sometimes the call of God puts you at risk. Maybe some of you have uh, adopted children or you've fostered children and you've driven to that court date, the final court date, after doing all of the work and all of the money and all of the tears and putting your little family book together so that the other family choosing can decide if you're worth their child. And you've gone through all of this and you're driving to the courtroom and maybe one of you looks at the other and you go, Are we really gonna do this? Sometimes the call of God puts you at risk. Welcome to Mary and Joseph's story. Minding their own business, living a simple life, going about their duties, Joseph working in the craftsman trade that he was so used to the family business and Mary, a simple woman living on the fringes of a patriarchal society. She's okay. Just, we're okay. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears. Hey, Mary. Hey, Joseph. We've got something for you. The call of God will put you at risk. And what happens is in this moment, the Roman ruler calls a global census because Rome is the dominating force of the day. And they say, we've, we want to know who we're working with and we want to know who we can tax and we've got to know who's who and what's what. And so everyone go back to your ancestral land. So what you're seeing in this moment is a global Pilgrimage. People leaving where they'd settled, going back to where their ancestors lived. And so Joseph and Mary leave their home and there's no comfort. They're going to a place where they don't have connections. They're going to a place where they don't have lodging. Mary can't nest and she can't paint the walls blue. She can't get the crib all ready and the diapers in the corner and the wipes over here. She can't have her friends show up with Target gift cards and just bless her. Mary's got to follow what God is doing. And sometimes the call of God means you're at risk and and it presses on you. And so they're leaving and they're going and they're, they're feeling the sting and they, they show up to town and it says, there was no room for them in the inn. Why? You don't have to be an economist to figure this out. They're leaving home. They're going to a new place. When people are traveling, what happens is all the VRBO and Airbnb owners put their place up for rent And what happens to the prices sky high. And so they're walking the streets of Bethlehem. Masses of people are flooding into Bethlehem who don't live there. So the market is hot. And because the market is hot, people can price gouge and do it. And I get, we got to pay our bills. But what happens is they're walking the streets of Bethlehem and imagine young Mary. Walking the streets and nobody sees her. They're knocking on doors. Hey, do you have a place? Hey, we're kind of on the brink here. It, would you show just a little bit of compassion? Is there any, you can just put us up in a janitor's closet. I don't care. Do you have a place for us? And there was no room for them in the end. Friends, this text makes us ask questions of ourselves. And these people on this night, for whatever reason, could not see Joseph and Mary, as people on the brink, what they could see was profit margins. This text makes us ask: Will we make room for vulnerable people? They leave Bethlehem, the bustling city streets, and they walk. Pastor Brady and I and John and different ones were there this summer in Bethlehem, and we got to go in to the territory. and, and Bethlehem is this beautiful place, and, There's all these caves on the outside of Bethlehem. Most people think that Jesus was born in a barn because of the manger and the animals, but actually it was more likely that he was born in a cave. Look at this picture here. This is a cave just outside of Bethlehem. And imagine Mary and Joseph, this being their best option. They climb the rocky crags and Mary's doing her thing and she's trying not to slip. And Joseph is thinking, what have I done? And I, I wish I could provide something better for this woman that I love. And here we are. And they crawl into a little hole in the earth like this. And the son of God moves into our story in a place that looks a lot like this. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, will we see the people walking the streets who need a place? who need a family, who need to be loved, who need to be cared for. When you walk into the grocery store this week, have you ever been in a grocery store and maybe you've actually done this? I remember early on, I've had moments like this where you, you get what you need and you come up to the cashier's counter. And have you ever seen anyone counting coins on the cashier's counter and then making decisions? Oh, I, I, how much is it? And taking things out of the basket. Have you seen anyone ever do this? We think that it's sort of embarrassing for them and it is, but, but what we tend to do in those moments is we look away. But actually the thing that you do is Christians look toward it and we race toward it. And if you have the ability to step into that situation, there is room in the end and there is compassion in this heart and there is a surplus that God has provided and, and put some more things in that basket, whatever you need and send them with a gift card. Friends, we don't look away when we see the crisis, we run toward it as followers of Jesus. And this Advent story is a story where Jesus was on the brink with his mother and father and... The city looked away. This text will make you ask the question, will you make room for vulnerable people? You'll learn a lot about a person by watching how they treat people who can't do anything for them. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen people who relate well upward? to the big boss, to the people who have power, to the people who have authority, to the people who have a reputation, to the people who could pull some strings and you get in a, a dinner party with them and they're great, whoa! And then you walk out into the, the parking lot at Walmart and someone's staggering around wandering and it's, it's as if they don't even see that it's happening. You'll learn a lot about a person by the way they relate to people who cannot do anything for them. Mary and Joseph couldn't do anything for anyone that night and the world looked away, but we as believers are the ones who open our hearts. There is room in the inn. And what you see, there's this theme in in the Bible, there's all kinds of stories of strangers from Genesis with Abram and Sarai, uh, taking in the three angels that are strangers on the move, all the way to Revelation, there's these stories of strangers and the overall theme of them is when you show mercy to strangers, somehow you're showing mercy to God. Think about had someone taken in Mary and Joseph that night, you know who else they were taking in with them? God. God, the little baby in womb. Had they, had they opened their inn, had they made room for them, they would have been taking in not just Joseph and Mary, but they would have been taking in God, and friends, when we are hospitable, when we look people in the eyes in this season, when we make room for people, surprise, it's not just those people, it's as if we are showing mercy to God himself. And Jesus said, whenever you fed the hungry and whenever you clothed the naked and whenever you visited the prisoner and whenever you took in the sick, you did it as unto me. Friends, in this season, open your hearts, make room, invite people in and carry the image of Jesus we see next from Mary and Joseph. We see the episode shift to the shepherds, These shepherds. Uh, I'll show you this picture. This is in the Bethlehem fields that we were just recently in. The shepherds were the scum of the earth. I mean, just to put it bluntly, let's just cut to the chase. They were the, they were the bottom class. They were filthy. They were dirty. They were very often uneducated. They weren't making minimum wage. They were making whatever their boss would give them. And they were keeping a strong business going for someone else, but they weren't received. They weren't vested. They had no skin in the game. They just had this depressing sort of darkness that they lived in out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the shepherds who are the scum of the earth discover that God sees them. Isn't it interesting that the angel of the Lord did not show up at the palace with pomp and circumstance and cater to the, the, the diva that was on the throne in the region. The, the angel of the Lord totally bypassed the place of power. And what did the angel do? The angel went to the outskirts. The angel went to the margins. And what you see in this story is that this story reminds us that God's message is announced at the margins. It always includes the lowly. It always includes the poor. It always includes the forgotten and the under-resourced, and it situates them as major players in the center of God's saving work. What God does is he doesn't start at the center and move outward to the least of these. He starts outward and, and, and works with the least of these, and he sweeps them up into his kingdom and brings them to the center. The shepherds are the chief announcers, they're the evangelists, they're the first preachers, the uneducated are standing up saying, God is doing something tonight in Bethlehem, wake up world. And some of you feel like you don't fit in any room that you come into. Some of you feel like you wish you could buy your kids the the Jordans that every other kid at school seems to have. And some of you wish that you could drive that car. Some of you wish that you weren't living in that apartment right now and you feel like you're on the fringes and I say to you today the good news of the gospel is that Jesus moves into the fringes. Jesus moves to the margins. Jesus is born of a virgin, of a single mom living on the brink and Jesus rushes to the center of the story with salvation. And so if you are on the outside today, don't look now, but God is for you and God is with you and God has work for you to do. And it will not always be this way. Can you say amen today, church? God moves to the margins. This story introduces us, as I said, to a God who interrupts people. Really the theme of all of the Advent stories is people getting caught off guard. You've got Mary and Joseph. You've got Elizabeth and Zechariah. Hey, John the Baptist is coming in your old age. You've got wise men, the Magi that travel from the East. You've got Simeon and Anna, the old folks in the, in the church who are turned into prophets and prophetesses. He erupts, interrupts them with good news. And what, the theme that you find in all of these stories is that they're terrified. <laughs> they're just terrified. And God's interruptions always start with terrified people, but by the end of the story, they've become energized people. Do you notice this? Terrified to energize. Oh my goodness, to now I'm finally living. I think my life is going to fall apart. And all of a sudden you're swept up into your purpose and you're jumping out of bed in the morning because God has something for you to do. These stories all start with terrified people that become energized people. I think about my friends, He's in his early eighties. She's in her late seventies. They've been married 60 plus years, faithful, godly, And they had worked really hard from 20 to 55 and they had done really well and they probably have 50 cents of the first dollar they ever made, just frugal, socking it away, being generous along the way, obviously, but 55 and and they had some stock options right toward the end of his career that went bonkers and he was able to sell and and a good retirement became a great retirement. And in 55, they had launched their kids in the world and they were just about to take a deep breath. Let's go on some cruises. Let, let's, let's do the thing. Let's let, we, we've worked all these years for that. And, and right early in their retirement, as they're just kind of figuring out what their new morning routine is, go to the YNCA and come back and they, they have their second cup of coffee and the phone rings. And it's some friends in, in the church and at this point, the, the laws were quite a bit different 25 years ago. And they said, hey, there was a baby that was born this morning and the family's on the brink. And I'm wondering if you would be a safe family. If you do this like interim foster care thing for like three weeks, we think it'll be about three weeks. And they looked at each other, newly retired. And they said, we can do three weeks. And so they buy a crib. They hadn't had a crib in what, 30 years. (laughs) They buy a crib and they buy the diapers and they buy, they're getting all set up in the car seat and they're making sure it's locked in their little Lexus and it's not wobbling around. And they finally get things ready. They go to the hospital They bring this baby home for three weeks and they pray blessing over this baby and they nurture this baby and they send this baby into their home and they go, thank God we made it. You know, two weeks later, phone rings turns out babies are still being born. Hey, so what happened was there was another one. And we wondered if you'd be willing to take this probably two weeks on this one. We think we got the next house lined up two weeks. Could you, they said, we could do two weeks. And it turned into four weeks and four weeks later, bless you in Jesus name. And they were terrified. Like you listen to them at this moment, terrified 55. We're taking a newborn. Do we know how to do this? Can we remember? We're too tired for this. We can't do night shifts and all that stuff. They were terrified. 105 babies later. 105 babies later. And they're still in touch with so many of these families. And they still get Christmas cards. And these kids have emancipated and graduated out of the foster care system. They've been adopted into great homes. They're getting jobs. They're standing up on their feet. And my friends at 55 years old were terrified. You know what they are now at 80 and late 70s? Energized. These people, God Almighty, I want to be like them. They, they, they did not fall asleep. They did not mail it in. They did not quit. They did not collapse into comfort and taking care of number one and circling up the wagons and the American story that we are living in. God bless America. I thank God that I, I would rather not live anywhere else, right? But the American dream is different than the kingdom dream. Don't make me preach today. The American dream says, when you get to a certain point, you get to go easy, you get to be comfortable, you get to mail it in, you get to shut down. Life becomes about you for the next several decades. The kingdom dream is you're 80 and you're on your front foot and you're still praying and you're still fasting and you're still laughing and you're still opening up your, there is room in your inn. That's the kingdom dream. And the American dream says you get to a point, the sign of success is when you think you don't need anybody else and the kingdom dream is i will live my life with my eyes open ready to pour my life out for anybody that the lord sends my way and my friends at 80 and in the late 70s i want to be like them and they ha- they came to the crossroad at 55 and they had a question to answer and the lord gave them an invitation and they could have shut it down and they could have collapsed inward and they were terrified and now they're energized And I'm here to say to you today that that's on the table for all of us. At the end of last year, we had our off-site elders retreat all day, praying, seeking the Lord, planning for 2022. And it was this time last year where we were away at that event where we were gathered and the eight of us in the room praying. And a couple of our non-staff elders said, this is, this, here's what we're hearing. We're hearing that 2022 is a year for New Life Church to go be debt-free. And we all went, okay, you sure in this, okay. And we started praying into it and leaning into it and seeking the Lord on that specific word. And by the end of the time, it's like all eight of us. Yes, we, we hear the Lord and Lord will respond to that. And so we put that in front of you at the beginning of the year. We will have two legacy offerings this year and, and thank God, we started the year at 9.6 million and we're at 3.6 million right now, and God is doing a good thing. We got 14 days left. Let's go. If any of you got a cool 3.6 laying around, holler at me. <laughs> but in January, Lisa and I, we always take a couple days to just seek the Lord together, to shut it down, to pray. What, Lord, what are you saying about this year? And we put on our legal pad legacy offering. We said, Lord, what do you want to? What do you want us to do? What do you want to say? And a number dropped in my spirit that scared the heck out of me. I would never share amounts. We don't do that here, but I will share attitudes. And like uh, when it came and I waited to see, you know, like maybe Lisa will get a a different number. Maybe it'll be less. And I'll just, I'll trust my wife here, you know, trust my (laughs) wife, just draft in behind her faith. She was right there with me. And we put April 10th and December 4th, the two Sunday offerings, we put them on our sheet there and we said, okay, Lord, this is the number we feel like. And some of you would hear our number. You go, oh, bless their little hearts. Isn't that cute? Right. But for us, it scared the heck out of us and it was going to cost us something. And we were going to, we were terrified. And here at the end of the year, we are energized. Energized. Because the Lord somehow, some way has provided. And you know what it did to Lisa and me and to our family? We got our kids around this. We prayed about this as a family. We took this to the dinner table conversation and we, we leaned in. Instead of being asleep at the wheel, we are awake and we're locked in and we're unified and we're living at the edge of faith. And this year cost us something and we're the happiest we've ever been because we didn't cow when the moment came. We didn't, got, we didn't get scared when, when Jesus called us. And so friends, what I'm saying to you today is that the great threat for us in 21st century America is that we fall asleep at the wheel. We are the deepest pockets of any society in human history, and we might, we might be the most emotionally, relationally, soulishly bankrupt society. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it's certainly for the people of God, we are to be a provocation to the world. And so what I'm saying to you today, instead of the lethargy and the apathy and the laziness and the spiritual sloth that the enemy is dangling in front of us, we get to be the people who like Mary and Joseph, hear the call of God. And we rise up like the shepherds out minding our own business, the the angels come and they say, God's got something for you to do. Wake back up. And the shepherds wake up friends. It's time for us to wake back up. Can you say amen today? Would you stand with me today, church? The band is going to come and preach a shorter message so we can take some time to respond here. But I want to ask you some questions. I want to create a moment here where we can press in. Some of you are scared that if you take the risk, God is going to abandon you. That if you take the risk, he's going to leave you on your own. He's going to embarrass you. He's going to leave you holding the bag. And we sang it earlier today that that God won't fail. He won't fail us. And what I want to do right now is pray into that fear that the enemy stirs up in us when we sense this great call from God. So would you quiet your hearts? Close your eyes. Would you put your hand on your heart this morning? Lay hands on yourself by faith and begin to pray that simple three word prayer that pastor Brady has been teaching us to pray for 15 years. And the prayer is just this come Holy Spirit. Would you begin to invite the Holy Spirit right now in this moment to stir you? Would you give the Holy Spirit permission to talk to you about some things that have been off the table for a while? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to wake you back up? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage And the guts the boldness to press into this moment not to run away from it Would you ask the Holy Spirit should the Lord give us these years? To be able to show up in your 80s like my friends Living on the front foot of faith God we don't want to cower we don't want to quit We don't want to play it safe. Come on church, that's the threat of our age is playing it safe as the people of God. Lord, make us bold, make us courageous. And I pray for every area where my friends feel that fear. And I speak over their businesses right now, the provision of God. Pray right now, some of you employ people, you sign the front of the check, you know what it's like. We speak blessing over those businesses and we rebuke fear in your heart. For those of you who have relationships that are fractured, I I rebuke the fear and I pray right now courage to stand back up in those relationships. For those of you who are sick in your body, we speak courage and healing and renewal and freshness. For those of you in your mental health who are struggling, we pray the peace of God guard your mind. We speak life over you. We pray boldness back into you. The enemy wants to silence you and I pray that you'd rise back up today and that the shout of the Lord would be in your soul. Can you say amen today church? What we're gonna do before we receive communion is sing this song that that he won't fail. And I want us to sing it by faith. And some of you need to raise your hands today and press in whatever it looks like for you. But in this moment, let's press in by faith and ask the Lord to wake us back up.